Whenever we have sort of a well-known or often used scripture section in front of us, I think it's important to start by taking a quick note of how scripture like this one have in the past been misheard or misused, or in the case of this text from Mark, weaponized. Phrases from this section of Mark's gospel like deny yourself, take up your cross, lose your life, have been used in the past and in the present against the suffering in order to hold on to power, justify abuse, or perpetuate systems of hierarchy and injustice. It's really easy to look down on someone who's suffering and say, well, that's just your cross to bear. You can see how damaging and unhelpful that can be. So because of this history, this use, of this text, it can be hard to hear these verses from Mark's gospel and separate it a little bit from those dangerous and truly terrible ways we've heard it used before. But today, I, I invite you to try to set that aside. If it has been used against you or someone you love, I know it's hard. We're going to try to set that aside. And hear me when I say, it's, it's a swear word. It's rubbish, as Paul would say. It's rubbish. We pick up this week in Mark's gospel just where we left last week. After Jesus has been in the borderlands, healing people, the daughter of a foreign woman, a deaf man, and many others. We find Jesus this morning entering the villages of Caesarea Philippi, well north of the Sea of Galilee, still nearer to the foreign lands than Jerusalem, or even Nazareth. He's quite, quite a ways away from home. Jesus and his disciples are walking and he asks them one simple question. Who do people say that I am? This question is relatively easy for the disciples to answer, it seems. They have no shortage of responses and they give them quite freely. I feel like the stakes are pretty low to say what somebody else says, right? Well, you know, they say John the Baptist or a prophet. They aren't having to make a grand statement of faith or certainty. They're just repeating what they've heard. So the answer, right? Elijah, John the baptizer, a prophet. And then Jesus says, well, who do you say that I am? The answers are not quite as easy to come by in this moment, and they definitely don't all speak at once. I don't blame them. This is a hard question Jesus asks. The difference between who do others say that I am and who do you say that I am is the difference between repeating what we've been taught and saying what we believe deep in our hearts. If someone were to ask me, who do people think Jesus is, my answers are very different than when someone asks me, who do you think Jesus is? This is a faith statement moment for the disciples. Not just repeating back what they've heard others say, but what they themselves believe about Jesus. This person who they have been walking with and witnessing perform miracle upon miracle. I sort of imagine a long, awkward pause while they wait for someone to speak first, someone to be brave and say something while they ponder a bit about what their answer is. It's a moment, I imagine, where they notice, maybe for the first time, 
also not fully understanding it yet, that there is a difference between the perception of Jesus and the reality. And that the reality of Jesus is sometimes a lot harder to articulate than the perception. So it's Peter, I mean, of course, it's Peter, that is the one to step up and say something. His statement here is simple and profound, you are the Messiah. You are the one we've been waiting for, the one that will save us, right? Right, Jesus? Jesus responds with his very classic Mark's gospel, don't tell anyone. And then in what seems like a weirdly bizarre tangent, he starts saying all of these things about the Messiah suffering and being rejected by all the people in power and then being killed and then rising again. And Peter does not like this. Not at all. I think we can understand why Peter reacted this way by looking more closely at how he answered Jesus' question. Who do you say that I am? You are the Messiah. See how Peter answers this question tells us more about Peter than it does about Jesus. What kind of Messiah Peter was expecting in this moment. Peter wanted the Messiah to come and save the day to reconcile the people of God and break free of the occupying powers of the Roman Empire. This is what he had learned the Messiah was coming to do. That was his expectation. But he also thought it was going to happen the way he wanted it to happen. And Jesus gives him this harsh rebuke. He calls him Satan, like big ouch here, right? Before we go and condemn Peter to too quickly, I think we can spend some time reflecting on what we are expecting from Jesus, what we think it means to have a Messiah, even today. I think I can speak for all of us that we really don't want to believe that having a Messiah means we will suffer. In fact, most of us, somewhere deep in our hearts, really believe and hope for the opposite. We, too, like Peter, think a Messiah will be with us and then relieve our suffering. That being a child of God means things are going to get better, not worse. Even if we don't say it out loud, most of us believe that God will be good to us if we are good to God. If we pray the right way and believe the right things and are generally good people, then God will reward us with a lack of suffering and hardship. How many of us know right now, know this to be deeply untrue? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus reminds those gathered around him that there is a cost when you follow Jesus. But what I want to say this morning loudly and clearly is that does not mean our suffering is the cross we are asked to bear. The cost to us when we follow Jesus is not random human suffering. Suffering is a part of life. It is a part of the way of the world, but it is not what God wants for us. It is not God's hope and dream for you to suffer. God is not going around willy-nilly giving people cancer and heart attacks. The bad thing that happened to you is not something God did to you in order for you to suffer. 
so you can take up your cross. Our suffering, our hard things, are not a part of God's plan. Who would believe in that God? Certainly not me. The problem with this gospel story in front of us today is that we, like Peter, hear this hard truth about the reality of suffering and pain in our lives, and we do the very understandable and very human thing and say, no, this cannot be. I expected Jesus to make everything better. I expected my faith to make this bad thing not happen. I expected my goodness would somehow make me immune to pain and suffering. I expected God to reward me for being good and following the rules and hustling and working hard. I get Peter's instinct here to pull Jesus aside and say, please tell me a different story. I need a different story. I need one that doesn't seem like more of the same, because then why are you here? I think Jesus sees right through this instinct of Peter's and of ours, too. I think we ask ourselves this morning in this gospel the question, well, what do we want to hear from Jesus in this moment? Instead of a story of suffering, what does Peter want? What do we want? I kept wondering this week if the thing that Peter had the hardest time with, that I also have the hardest time with, honestly, is the idea that suffering and pain coexist in a world where Jesus also is. Suffering and pain coexist with a Messiah. That feels impossible. What if what Peter struggles with most in this gospel is that the belief that suffering and pain are not the end of the story? If I'm honest, that's the part that I have the hardest time with, too. It requires me to hope for something I'm not yet experiencing. How can I believe any of this when it feels like I'm still in the tomb? Life is hard. We know this suffering is real. Many of us have learned this in new ways over the last year and a half, but a lot of you, I know, have learned this hard truth about suffering well before COVID was even a thing we knew existed. Jesus this morning acknowledges the reality of pain and suffering in our world, and he does not stop there. And I think that's the important part of this story. I wonder if maybe Peter heard Jesus say, I'm going to rise again, and he's like, I don't understand that, but I do get suffering, and I don't want to hear about it. I don't get it. This feels impossible. Stop talking. I wonder what if Peter was more afraid of hope than he was of suffering. What if the loss Jesus speaks of in Mark's gospel is the loss of our belief in the kingdom of this world and the way things are right now? And what if what we gain instead is the faith to trust that in the kingdom of God, suffering is not the end of the story? It is not the only part of the story. It can be so hard to hear this section of Mark's gospel and find hope and grace in it when we hear only the part about suffering and carrying a cross and laying down your life. It feels bleak and grim, and if I'm being super honest, really not what I need to hear right now. 
Hearing Jesus say that we too will suffer and struggle does not feel like anything close to good news. Particularly in the midst of where we are today, a global pandemic, political strife, school shootings, remembered trauma from yesterday, the list unfortunately goes on and on and on. But the gospel, the good news in this story in Mark, I believe is that the Messiah is not who we make him out to be who we expect him to be, or even who we want him to be. The good news of this story, of this gospel, is that who the Messiah is and what the Messiah does is not up to us. The good news today is that we are not the good news, but God is the good news. That there is always more to the story. And that the story doesn't end with my bad or hard thing and at the core, what is left when everything else is washed away is love. The love of God. The love of each other. And I know this is hard when you are suffering. I know it's hard to hear that it's not the end of the story when it feels like the only story. I know it's hard to find grace and hope in the midst of uncertainty and fear And yet this morning, Jesus reminds us that there is resurrection. There is always life after death. And love continues. There's a poem by Merritt Malloy that I sometimes read at funeral services called Epitaph. I'm not going to read the whole thing for you this morning. It's a little long. But he talks um, at the very end about how we survive without our loved ones how we go on when life is hard. And he talks about the answer to this being love. So I want to read his last line of his poem for you this morning. Love doesn't die. People do. So when all that's left of me is love, give me away. Amen. All right, so we take this promise we've been given again that God is faithful even when we are not. God is faithful when life is hard. God is faithful when we struggle. And when all of that is washed away, what is left is the love of God. So we take this truth, this promise with us as we go in peace to love and serve the Lord.